Welcome back to South African Border Wars with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 69. By November 1983, the SADF was prepping for the significant operation called Ascari, and the Air Force was going to play its part. The original plan was for the op to start on the 9th of November, but political negotiations had led to a postponement to the 9th of December. Meanwhile, the SAF Force had set up their remotely piloted vehicle, or RPV, in Zangongo under Major Jinx Butis. Their aim was to monitor the Kahama area initially as part of a sub-Ascari operation called FOX. The RPV was codenamed Gara and was trying to detect the location of SA-8 missile systems sent to the south by the Angolans, courtesy of the Russians. It proved a rather hit-and-miss process. These were early days in the use of what we now know as drones. Time to take a closer look at Operation Ascari, which was broken into four phases. Phase 1, the Special Forces would recce deep into Angola, then the Air Force would bomb Typhoon and volcano bases near Lubango. Phase 2 would see offensive reconnaissance around Kahama, Molondo and Kuvulai, and the SADF estimated this could take as long as two months, starting at least a week after Phase 1 had begun. The main aim was to cut off Swapo and FAPA's communication and logistics lines and to demoralize the Swapo sections, leading to their withdrawal north. However, the SADF missed a crucial bit of information when assessing their options in Phase 2. They presumed both FAPA and Swapo morale was low, but that was not the case. It was higher than it's been for years. Swapo's plan armed wing had been withdrawn into Angola for retraining, and these fighters were briefed about new heavy weapons sent by the Russian sponsors, including T-54-55 tanks, as well as new missile systems. Demoralizing them this time was not going to be as easy as in 1981. Phase 3, which was to begin after the invasion, was to reinforce the gaps supposedly created by Ascari west of the Kineni River through to Katevi, Mupa, Vintisete, and then to Ayonde. The last phase was supposedly to reinforce these empty bases once Swapo and Fapla had left and thus stopped the year's incursions into southwest Africa. The SAD of Topras was hoping that a brute force invasion would do the trick, that they'd see the Mirages, Pumas, Impalas, Alawit gunships and the mechanized battalions full of Parabats, 3-2 soldiers and mobile infantry, and then Swapo would retreat. This was not exactly how it turned out. Task Force X-Ray was to head west of the Kineni River, to strangle the garrisons of Kutevi and Kahama, and hopefully cause Swapo and Fapla there to withdraw without too much of a fight. X-Ray was comprised of 61 mech battalion, and its firepower was substantial. There were two infantry companies from 4SI, one company from 8SI, an armoured car squadron from one special services battalion, two troops of multiple rocket launchers from 10 artillery brigade, one artillery battery, two anti-aircraft batteries, a recce section, and sappers from 25 field regiment. Task Force Victor, also known as Combat Group Delta, included 82 Mechanized Brigade HQ, a company of Citizen Force soldiers cobbled together from Groot Kuru Regiment along with President Siasat and De La Rey Regiment troops, a company from Wansai, an armored car squadron from Moy River Regiment and Malopo, as well as an artillery battery, two anti-aircraft batteries, one multi-rocket launcher troop from Forsyth, a troop of sappers from 13 Field Regiment, a signals troop, a support platoon, one medical platoon from 5 Medical Battalion, a light workshop unit, and a provost section. Their target was east of the Kuneni River, and they were tasked with assaulting Kuvulai. Task Force Echo Victor was the cutoff force north of Kuvulai, waiting to ambush the supposedly fleeing Fopla, and also to take aim at the Swapo bases east of the Kavanga River. Combat Team Tango was comprised of one company from Forsyth, 
one armoured car squadron, one artillery troop, a mortar section from five Sai, two sections of sappers, one recce platoon or element, as they call it, one maintenance section and a workshop troop. They would operate as a kind of reserve, but more details about combat team tango later. There were a few obvious challenges facing the SADF. First, the weather. It was rainy season and the mud and cloud cover was going to cause havoc. The second was the conglomeration of vehicles. They had different cross-country ability which was going to throw a spanner in the works. For example, the Israeli-designed G4 artillery piece had major mobility problems. Dragging this gun through the mud was going to become the bane of many a soldier's life and slow down a critical attack on Kuvalai. After Ascari, the 155mm G4 would not be used again in a conventional op for the rest of the border war, like the Eland armoured car. Both were no longer effective. The G4 replacement, the G5, was another matter entirely, and probably one of the most feared artillery pieces anywhere in the world when it eventually arrived on the border in 1986. During the Battle of Kuvalai, artillery had to travel off-road, which meant the G4s had to be dragged through the bushveld, and this was slow going. Facing these main SADF units was a Swapo force of 79 artillery reconnaissance soldiers, 81 B-10 troops, 140 strong mortar sections with 82mm mortars, almost 100 RPG operators and just over 600 Swapo special unit soldiers. Around 320 of these had been retrained and were deployed as shield battalion around Kasinga. This meant they could rush south if requested. There were also 22 SAM-7 missile operators around here. They had arrived as part of manoeuvres planned to support MiG fighter jets early in 1984. The 10th Swapo Salute Battalion was stationed at Ameni, and its Alpha Shield Battalion was moved to 40 kilometres east of Lubango. In addition, Swapo's Western Area Headquarters was at Kahama, and the Ngulumbashi Centres, as they were called, included hundreds of troops arraigned in the territory north of the cutline at bases called Leningrad, Logistics, Marxist Youth Centre, and the Greenwell Matombo Training Centre. There were also Swapo units near Kaunda and a large complex around Kuvalai. Complex 1 to the north of Kuvalai housed the HQ of 53 Brigade, one platoon of Cuban advisors, 120mm mortar sections and two BTR-152 armoured personnel carriers. There were also two amphibious BRDM-2 armoured cars with around 100 Swapo soldiers. Complex 2 had a battalion of 53 Brigade troops and Complex 3 included a barracks of 400 soldiers, along with a section of 120mm mortars, 682mm mortars, three BTR-152s, two BRDM-2s, and an MTU bridge layer. They could also call on at least half a dozen 14.5mm and 12.7mm anti-aircraft guns. And the Angolans had eight MiG-21s or 17s, along with four Pilatus PC-7 reconnaissance aircraft based at Penang. Commanding Swapo's special units was Michael Ashipala. If you remember, he was better known as Danger Ashipala, while his commander, Dimo Hamambo, was in Kasinga. Lurking nearby was the 6th Poplar Brigade with 1,200 men and an entire Cuban regiment of 1,500. They were based at Matala and heavily armed with SAM-9 missiles, SA-3s, 39 T-34-85 tanks, at least four MiGs, four MI-8 helicopters and advanced radar. There was another Cuban tank company of 150 at Dongo, and 1,500 Cubans were based at Jamba, near one of Swapo's logistics bases. Further north along the road from Kuvalai to Kasinga Techimotete, a company of 11th Fapla Brigade troops were waiting, with four 23mm anti-aircraft guns, 
while Swapo's 8th Battalion was set up 30 kilometers east of Tichimateti, along with 250 men and women from its Bravo Battalion. The 11th Farpla Brigade was heavily armed. They had 14 brand new T-54-55 tanks, 4 PT-76 amphibious tanks, at least 6 BRDMs, a section of 57mm anti-aircraft guns, BM-21 multiple rocket launchers, 122mm and 76mm artillery, 82mm and 120mm mortar sections. They also had SA-8 and 9 missiles, just to cap off a significant arsenal. Hanging around Kaunda were at least 80 Soviet personnel, with a large number of mortar sections of all sizes, SA-7 missiles and nearly 6,000 civilians. So you can see how Operation Askari could get very messy indeed. The SADF started the ball rolling with the usual point men. Five teams of recce's were deployed in November 1983. They operated west of Kahama and east of the town near Molondo, around Kuvalai and even as far as Lubongo. This created a problem for the SA Air Force, which was responsible for moving the five teams around Angola. Each of these teams operated as a separate entity and established their own tactical HQs at Sangongo, while the SA Air Force also had an HQ in the town. These were separate. The Rekis were used to doing their own thing, but Air Force Commander Dick Lord grumbled about coordinating evacuations. He pointed out that if all the Rekki teams got into trouble, which would the Air Force support first? So eventually a single HQ was set up. There was another real effect of so many special force groups operating in southern Angola. Swapo and Farpla picked up fairly quickly that something really big was going on when one of these operator teams ended up in a firefight with Farpla near Kahama in November. When the Angolans realized it was the famed Rekis, all planned fighters immediately sought shelter inside Farpla bases. The perception that something big was going on increased when 61 mech rolled into southern Angola on the 8th of December arriving in Zangongo, and such a large mechanized brigade on the move can't easily hide its presence. The Angolans realized straight away that their nemesis, 61 Mech, was in town, and they put two and two together. When the Rekis start moving in teams and numbers, then 61 Mech rumbles into town, expect fireworks. It's time to haul out a Google map of Angola if you can, because as I explain what happened next, you're going to need to keep an eye out where things are going down. There's a main road from Zangonga which crosses the Kuneni River and heads off northwest towards Humbe, then bends further west to Kohama, about 100 clicks further north. There's another smaller road out of Zangonga, heading north-northeast, which follows the Kuneni and up to Kalonga, then to Matala, which is on the main route east-west across Angola and close to the Benguela Railway. The other main road out of Zangonga is almost directly east and then bends south to Anjiva, which was the second major town held by the SADF at this time. Head north from Anjiva for 25 kilometers and you arrive at Anghanka. Turn left on the EN120 highway and head north for another 25 kilometers and you're in Ivali. And then about 80 kilometers further up the road is Kuvalai, another 50 is Tichimoteti, and Tichimoteti is just south of Kasinga. All of these towns are going to feature in some way or another in Operation Ascari. If you look at the map, it's quite clear if you're defending this region from SADF incursions launched from the border that the South Africans will refine any engagement to a fairly narrow band in the central area. They wouldn't head west, that's where the semi-desert lies, and there's no one there, and also where the MiGs love to operate, nor are they going to head east, because that's where Unita is. So, if there's going to be any attacking, it's almost directly northeast and northwest, 
from both Sangongo and Onjiva. It's just a matter of deciding when the SADF would be coming. Once the Reiki activity was picked up, Swapo's defences were triggered. The fact that the South Africans were going to launch an invasion in the middle of the rainy season was a novelty but not a surprise. When 61 mech rolled into Zangongo, alarm bells went off because Luanda knew exactly what that meant. Brigadier Yup Yobeh, who commanded the operation, said the overall plan was for the SADF to continue attacks for two months. This would hopefully isolate the various towns and bases, block ammunition and supplies. Then the garrisons, as he said, would wither on the vine and they would have to abandon the towns. If Ascari had taken place inside a political vacuum, it may have worked. But as we all know, politics was very much on the commander's minds as the men prepared to go into attack. Yobeh briefed the officers. This was not a quick-fix operation, but he had the political leadership on his back. After 61 Mech's X-ray task force appeared in Zangongo, the unit moved off due north and arrived near Kutebe on the 11th of December 1983. That's a hamlet alongside the Kuneni River, and a Fapla mortar team opened fire on them straight away. It was speculative shooting at best, and two Impala strike aircraft circling above then spotted something a little more serious. Two of the newly arrived T-54-55 tanks were moving towards the task force along with a company of infantry. This Fapla company also saw the ground attack Impalas and took evasive action, but a mirage was overhead and dive-bombed the tanks hitting one. Yobea and his commanders were aware that there was an even stronger Fapla force 50 kilometers north of Kutevi on the same road at Mulondo, so it was imperative to act quickly. Combat Group 2 immediately rolled up to Kwatevi from the north, while Combat Team 1 remained behind to cut off any retreating Fapla or Swapo. An HQ was set up, an S battery opened fire, while the colleagues in R battery repositioned northeast to prevent Swapo from escaping in that direction. A company of Swapo then ran into a wooded area just outside the town and began firing RPG-7s at the task force before melting away. Kutevi fell shortly afterwards, taken without much resistance and no casualties, and that was on the 16th of December. The next stop for X-ray was supposed to be Kahama, where Fapla's 11th Brigade awaited. That town was some distance away to the west, about 90 kilometers as the crow flies, and X-ray headed along the 20th Northern Parallel Line, as it was known, to get there. It was going to be another 10 days before an assault took place. Meanwhile, 55 kilometers northeast, Task Force Victor had begun an offensive against various FAPLA targets around Kubalai. They began bombarding the town on the 16th of December, hoping that the Angolans would withdraw without a fight. The SADF planners were going to be disappointed. The defenders were motivated and well protected by heavy weapons, artillery and missiles, and they weren't going anywhere. After an initial half-hour bombardment from the west side of town, FAPLA gunners opened up in response. The 11th Brigade used their battery of 57 and 23mm anti-aircraft weapons and two batteries of 122mm guns. A kind of Angolan standoff developed and the Rekis then moved in to gather more intelligence. But on the 18th of December they bumped into enemy units 20km southeast of Kasinga and Pumas were called in to airlift the operators out. Commandant Fan Greiling of Task Force Victor decided to shift his units to the south while the artillery continued bombarding Fapla entrenched in Kuvalai. Kreiling was having problems with his artillery. They barely covered 20 kilometers in six hours because the guns were bogged down in the mud. 
Bravo Group had driven along this route far quicker back in 1975 during Operation Savannah, but things were not going as swimmingly now. This was a grinding approach, not the usual speed and flash that the SADF was known for, and it was only on the 22nd of December that Khreling's forces were in any position to directly assault Kuvalai. The approach to the town is dominated by a flat expanse. All trees had been cut down, and the stumps were left a few feet above ground. That was a kind of anti-tank trap, because these could damage the bottom of the rattles, elants, and buffles. And the defenders also kept up their tit-for-tat bombardments. No sooner had the South Africans finished their artillery assault on the 22nd, than Fapla opened up in response. Hreiling's Task Force Victor Vanguard was only seven kilometers southwest of the town, well within the range of Fapla's artillery, and things got very hairy very quickly. Well, right now we have to halt and secure the perimeter. As you'll hear next episode, the coming full assault on Kuvalai was going to be extremely costly for both sides. Please rate the podcast on iTunes. It helps make the series more visible. We can head off to abwarpodcast.com and you can also message me on Twitter at Deslathan. Until next, goodbye.